And welcome to Sunday Coffee here on the final day of the month of January. And you know what that means. Tomorrow, it's baseball month. We've only got a couple of weeks. What, three weeks from opening day, State will open on the road out in Arlington against Texas, Texas Tech, and TCU. And uh, Charlie Winfield, Bart Gregory here on this Sunday morning in downtown Starkville, Mississippi. Feels a little bit better. It was cold all day yesterday, Charlie, but it feels kind of like a baseball day-to-day outside. I think it was maybe Wednesday this week I was walking down the street and said, if I could lock this in for the month of February in baseball, I would take it. I mean, it felt like baseball weather outside. Now, we all know that in Starville, <laughs> Mississippi, there are no two places colder than Duty Noble Field and the soccer complex. Yes. You get to those places, it doesn't matter how good you feel throughout the week. That's the greatest accomplishment of my life, I think, is out of the four kids that I have, I've somehow talked all four into not playing soccer. Yeah, that's beautiful. Man, we used to play that when the girls were small. When they were seven, eight, we got out of that in a hurry. Okay, so we're coming off a big basketball win yesterday. Men's basketball just well, kind of well, – well, we, we don't talk basketball. Let's, hey, we talk about it when we win by like we did yesterday. Okay, we beat Iowa State. Iowa State, SEC Big 12 Challenge. And, hey – How many times, by the way, during the game did Beth Mowens – I didn't – I didn't turn – I synced my game yesterday. All right, well, that was a wise choice because roughly every 15 seconds – Beth Mowens was giving us an update on the standings in the Big 12 SEC Challenge and how important it was for Mississippi State to win to help the SEC. Do you think yesterday while we were playing, Ben Hallen or anybody else in that building? Scoreboard watching? I mean, boy, I hope Alabama's taking care of business. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, these guys bowl season. These guys are, are broadcasting from their basements, and so I do give them a little bit of a pass because it's got to be tough when the dogs barking three, three rooms over to try to, <laughs> to concentrate on what you're doing. But at the end of the day, winning yesterday the way we did, we just needed a win. I think this team has been so close all year long, and I think if you can keep this nucleus together, this men's basketball team has a chance to be to be really good. And then you've got some guys who are specialty-type players. Matthews is a good defensive player as a freshman, but you've got a really good backcourt. But I think they're going to get better. I hope they're going to get better. Here's the thing that struck me yesterday, Charlie, is seeing Steve Prom on the sideline for Iowa State. Uh, it made me remember back to when Rick Stansberry left here what, at 2012, everybody was going crazy about, man, you got to, we got to get Steve Prom. He's at Murray State. He was just killing everybody, going to the NCAA tournament at Murray State. Steve Prom is on everybody's radar. We got to have Steve Prom. And it was almost like a Billy Napier situation. He hung on up at Murray State for a year or two extra, and then he could land, he landed at Iowa State. But you look at what Iowa State has done since Steve Prom has been there, and it made me think about it. You know, Steve Prom, his first year, went to the NCAA tournament. I think they went to the Sweet 16 with, you know, the predecessor's players. And then, you know, he had a couple of good years. But you look at two of the last three years. He had a losing record last year. They are awful this year. They've won two games. I think both of those games came against swag teams. And so it kind of made me think, man, you know, basketball is crazy. When you start talking about basketball coaching, and I know we don't talk about basketball here, and I appreciate that statement because I'm not going in depth about you know man-to-man defense and posting up 15 feet away from the goal. We're going to talk about coaching. Here's the thing about basketball coaches. They can be made or broken by one or two players, and oh, that's it. 
Yeah, and I think the broken is the key word, too, because we could put together a pretty healthy list of coaches in a lot of sports who have been ruined by players that they did sign. And a pretty healthy list, too, of guys who had their career saved or at least extended. I'm raising my hand right here because I, I know I know one player that was brought in that, that hurt. That I got can think it, of one. That, yeah, I can think of one. Six, nine. Love to shoot threes. Yeah. But, yeah, man, I, I don't – if you have two good guys that can really build a coaching resume – because at the end of the day, you can go through the X's and O's of coaching, but at the end of the day, sometimes in the last minute of a game, you need to be able to look at a guy in the huddle and say, I need two points or I need a three. And those guys that can deliver, it's all about players. I'm telling you, it's all about players. Now, a big part of being a coach is being able to get players in and develop those players. But sometimes in basketball, all it takes is one or two. And then you get a big-time job, and people can't figure out why you can't win. So – Let's make a pivot here to baseball. Now, I'm going to relate this because one of the things that you mentioned is how one player really makes a difference. Baseball, much, much more insulated from that than basketball. Yes. You know, ba- basketball is the game where you've got – if you have a Dante Jones, it's the difference of being a Sweet 16 team and a Final Four team. If you've got a Daryl Wilson, it's the difference in having a championship team or not. Uh, you know, you go back and, look, you can plug in an All-American baseball player, and it matters – but, you know, Ian Happ didn't turn Cincinnati into a great program just by being there. He's a really good college player. But, you know, you got a solution to that. Send him down to first base. You know, pitch around him. If it's a pitcher, it gets you through a Friday night maybe. But it doesn't save you a weekend. And, you know, it's interesting. That's I think that's one of the things I love about baseball. I mean, it is truly a sport that depends on having a team. Oh, Yeah. You know, but, you can have a big hitter, but if you can't pitch it, it doesn't matter. And it always seems – and here's the thing about baseball, too, is if you, have, if you have holes, they somehow find a way – or the game somehow finds a way of finding them. You know, if, if you've got a guy who's struggling at the plate, <laughs> he's going to come up with the guys at second and third and two outs. And the guy who's booted one twice playing third base is going to get three more hot shots right at him. You know, another thing – let's go back to the coaching point a minute. You know, you look in basketball, when you are a big five program and you're looking for your coach, where does everybody go every time? The mid-majors. Yeah. You know, you look at the guys who uh, – Prom was at Murray State. Billy Kennedy was at Murray State. Mick Cronin was at Murray State. Mark Gottfried from uh, Alabama days was at Murray State. I mean, there's all these guys who go to a successful mid-major program and then the power five guys just want to pull them out. In baseball, boy, it is so hard. I remember when Chris Lamonis was hired, and everybody's talking about, well, who's our next coach? Like, man, I don't know. Because it's really hard to evaluate who a hot mid-major is in college baseball compared to basketball, in my opinion. And, too, now with the the way the games and the way the sports have been played, it's almost like you're going and getting a mid-major. With When you look at the Power Five, being a Power Five coach and being at a Power Five program – is completely different than being at a greater five program. The money's so different. The budget's so different. The management style is so different. And so you ask yourself the question, is it better to go get a head coach from a mid-major or is it better to go get an assistant coach or a high assistant coach from a power five just because they're used to everything that goes into being a power five coach? That's kind of intriguing. So Yeah, it is too. And then you start to – Boy, there are so many legends 
in the assistant coaching world. And, you know, boy, that guy's a great coach or that woman's a great coach. And, and everybody's like, well, you wonder why they don't get a head coaching job. And it's because some people know they really are maybe limited in their skill sets. You know, this may be the one person who is really good at recruiting, but couldn't do anything else or is really good at one niche. So it's so tough to evaluate those assistant coaches, but I, I believe that you're onto something, though, because I think the chasm between Power Five and Group of Five is growing and growing and growing, and it will not be that long before it's much more like reaching down into FCS to pull out a coach. All right, so let's look at baseball. It's you know three weeks to go before opening day. So much has been talked about with this team. I mean, just – Overall, from a pitching standpoint, and I go back to the point of what you talked about a moment ago about having, you know, that that All American, that big time. We got a chance to have some big time arms on the weekends. We also have a chance to have some some guys who are going to be really good for you in the midweek. And so I go back and look at this season. What's your thought process right now? Are you excited? Do you think this team has a chance to be elite? Is it elite right now, or? Can it be elite? I think it can be. You know, there's still some real questions on this team. And one of the concerns I have is with all the excitement of where our pitching staff is, that maybe as a fan I'm letting myself get a little bit too excited or I'm, I'm losing the cautious part in the cautious optimism. But let's go back to last year. I think those last two games kind of changed my view on the team a lot. You know, we went down to the coast, we played well, and you beat Texas Tech a couple of times, and all of a sudden, man, we got a team. We're ready to go. What if you'd lost those two games? And, look, there were plenty of days, you know, we took that that trip out westward. We couldn't hit anything, it felt like. One hit on that Friday night against Long Beach State. Here's the thing that stands out. We were kind of slow at the plate starting last year. You know, I think we had double-digit hits in six of the first 16 games. Went 12-4, and three hit against Oregon State, one hit against Long Beach State. So we had some games in there. So I know at the end of the day, you have depth in pitching. But let's go ahead and get this out of the way. Yeah, we got three front-line guys that have really good stuff. But there's a lot of teams that are going to have a lot of pitching this year, especially at the top end. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, about how when you start looking at Friday nights and the guys that Christian McLeod is going to have to go against and the top 25 prospects in Major League Baseball – I mean, it's amazing. We have a chance on four SEC weekends that Christian McLeod will not be the highest-rate pitcher taking the mound on Friday. And he's number 26. I mean, it's loaded. Now, I want to talk about that a little bit, too. One of the issues with these rankings that we kind of get hung up on is, well, we got three guys rated in the 20s in the draft. Those are built off what we think they can do. Yeah, it's all projections. It's all based on where we think ceilings are. And so you take a guy like Sarantola on Sunday. Why is he there? Because he's got a cannon of an arm, and he can run it up there in a hurry. He's got great stuff. We've heard that for two years. question is, can we put it together? Yeah, every time I see Eric Sarantola, I kind of think of Dakota Hudson in his freshman and sophomore year. And I'm not ready to draw that comparison about what he's going to do in the next five, six years. I'll sign up for it. Oh, absolutely. I'll take it tomorrow. <laughs> you giving me that, I'm in. The difference to me in Dakota Hudson in 2006 is it was almost like he figured out, or 2016, he figured out that I don't have to be as fine. If I fall behind three and one, I'm not going to try to pinpoint and hit my spot. I am going to throw a strike. And it kind of seems like Scott Foxhall 
pitching coaches have so many different philosophies. And it gives the appearance of Scott Foxhall, what I've seen over the last couple of years, is he's not a guy who is making all of his pitching decisions on the spots. I think he's a guy who just says, hey, go out there and get ahead. Because what I see on it is with two strikes, we don't have that big wasted pitch anymore. Oh, my gosh. I'm not having to watch the catcher stand up behind the plate to give a target, throw it <laughs> over a guy's head. I Look, I'm a Scott Foxhall fan. I'm a fan of him as a person. He's a blast to talk to. He's very candid in terms of sitting down with you before the season and saying, here's what we got, here's what we don't have. You love that. But I like the way the guy trusts his guys to go out there and compete. Go out there and just be better. Throw it past them. And you know what? You haven't got to hit the corners like you're Greg Maddox. Yeah. We've talked so much about pitching, but you look around the field. Okay, what? Your third base is going to be a question mark. You know, Cameron James is moving from third to short. He's a guy that projects high Major League Baseball. Do you have DeBrule at second base? There's some question marks on this team. What's going to happen at first base? Where's your right-handed power hitter? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, is it is is Cumbus a guy that can come in and, and be a, a right-handed power hitter? First well, you'd co- hate to face this lineup as a right-handed pitcher. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can do so. Tanner Allen, Josh Hatcher. Rowdy Jordan going to spin around left and right. I mean, this guy's, this team has some pieces in the offensive lineup. I'm not down on them at all. But at the end of the day, you know, you're going to see some really big-time arms, especially when you go out to Texas in a couple of weeks. And then Olthoff, you know, he's a Friday night guy for Tulane. I mean, he's, he's going to be real special. Charlie, here's the thing that, that really is on my radar right now. I'm not ready to just dive into matchups and dive into position players and pitchers. I want to dive into our show. Man, I'm looking forward to this show. I look back at last year when we did a, a weekly show out of left field, mainly on Thursdays. Farm Bureau is back this year. Country Pleasing Sausage is back this year. Heartland Catfish is back this year. I, th- I think they sold a bunch of stuff based off us, Charlie. I think is that's, that what it is? I think that's the reason. I think we're lucky to have some good Mississippi State baseball supporters. Absolutely. So they're back. We're going to do a Sunday show. I think we've decided we're going to do a Sunday show. We went back and forth of whether to do the Sunday morning or the Sunday afternoon. I think we're going to stick with Sunday morning. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I've kind of bounced that back and forth, but I've enjoyed getting together Sunday mornings and just kind of bantering. So give us a chance to come in, talk a little bit about the first two games in the series, and then come back uh, and preview that last game and head into the weekend or head into the week after that and then turn around and you know kind of get the full recap from there. But I look forward to getting together on Sundays and enjoy talking about them. And last year was such a strange year, and you and I kind of looked at each other once that season shut down and like, what are we going to do? And – Boy, there was some cool stuff. Yeah, it really turned out pretty cool, didn't it? We went away from we, – well, we didn't have games to talk about. We started interviewing a bunch of people. And so it was just – it turned into more of a magazine show. And I enjoyed the heck out of it. And, you know, we've still got some things in the works, too. We, you talk about those. The other thing that I'm really excited about coming up is you and I have – one of the things about Mississippi State fans, I'll preface it this way, and I remember this back all the way to, to being a kid – is as much as we talk about our players, there's those visitors who come through that you just remember that really adds so much to your experience in a game. But you to be able to say, I saw Bo Jackson, to be able to say, I saw Robin Ventura, uh, you know, to see all these guys who came through here, it's really cool. And one of the things that we've done, we've tracked some of those guys down. Yeah, and it was not easy. We tracked a few of them down. We've talked to some – Washington players 
from 1997. Talked to Ken Knutson, who was the head coach at Washington. He's now out in Phoenix, Arizona, working with some you know baseball academy. But here's what was cool to me, Charlie, is you and I are kind of like the CIA. We're going to try to find you. And, and we do a pretty good job of finding people. And I had to go, you know, seven degrees or is it six degrees of Kevin Bacon? Six degrees. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. I had to work a bunch of different sources. And I found a guy in a small town in northeastern Washington. Northeastern Washington in the forestry industry. A guy by the name of Chris McGruder. Remember that oh, name? I remember Chris McGruder. Oh, my goodness. That guy came in here in 1997. And you just couldn't get him out. It was like a team versus a machine. That guy was a one-man show. I mean, he had some good players on his team, don't get me wrong. But everything that I said earlier about how one guy can't affect a baseball team, forget that when it came to Magruder. Magruder in 97 in that regional, I I still can't remember an opposing player having the effect that he had on that entire weekend. And so we found Chris Magruder. And so then you ask yourself the question, okay, what's this guy? You know, I'm, I'm going to send you a text. I'm going to make a call. Hey, I'm a Mississippi State guy. I want to talk about 1997. What's his reaction going to be? Is it going to be, hey, uh, I don't want to talk I don't want to talk about that. I mean, why don't we lost. I don't want to talk about that. He could not have been better. Oh, he, he was, was awesome. He was so excited that, first of all, somebody remembered. <laughs> it's been 23 years now. Almost 24 now. And he was great. Ken Knutson was great. We talked to some guys at Washington. We talked to some guys at Notre Dame. We've got some other guys. That we, we Steve Stanley, to. the center fielder, we talked to him. We've been in communication with Paul O'Toole, who was the catcher. And you'll remember <laughs> O'Toole because he, he was the one guy that I remember in Mississippi State visiting team history who went from villain to a guy that the crowd liked. You know, he got in a little dust-up with Philip Willingham at home plate in the first game, and our crowd just let him have it. And all that guy did was keep playing hard, and every time he came to the plate, he got a hit. It's like the gladiator. Got to win the crowd. He won the crowd. He he won the crowd. I've never seen it turn the way it did. But, you know, the thing that was interesting about Magruder, and I still am not exactly sure how you tracked him down, but the thing that I enjoyed about Magruder – was that it's been all this time. This is a guy who played in the major leagues, and he talks about this being one of the best baseball experiences of his life. Hey, I've got a couple of those things. I'm going to drop one. Here, Here's Chris Magruder right here, just briefly, and we're going to come back and, and do a do a show on that 97 regional, and we're going to drop all all of this stuff. It's we got good stuff from Barry Patton to Rusty Toms to Eric DeBose and kind of go more in depth. But here's Chris Magruder talking about that week in Startwell, Mississippi. I think maybe that tournament changed my entire life. Obviously, playing at Mississippi State, you're playing in front of Ron Polk and, and Pat McMahon. Coming from where we came from and where I came from, which was the middle of nowhere in eastern Washington, then go play at UW, start playing good baseball, and then to elevate to where we went, then go to Mississippi State and do what actually happened. Then all of a sudden, my name was on the map. So the 97 year was a magical year. That's pretty cool. That's just so cool that a guy that played so well and remembers, I mean, he remembers every detail. And, of course, we'll drop that whole interview for you in the next couple of weeks. But And i gotta, I got to add one more here because what about Ken Knutson? All right, so he is the head coach of Washington. 
Washington, by the way, won the Pac-10 right. at the time, Pac-10. And he told us that his two biggest memories from his time at Washington were winning the Pac-10 and losing at Mississippi State. It's it's just phenomenal. I know you've got a clip from him. Drop drop one here. Yeah, here's Ken Knutson kind of talking about coming to start with Mississippi for the regional and compares it to the Rose Bowl. The crowds were just phenomenal, and it was the biggest crowds that we'd ever played in front of. And just walking out in the outfield and going through people's tailgates to just the sheer volume of people having fun. And it was quite an event. You, you don't see that in college baseball. It was more like going to the Rose Bowl or something like that in football. So it was really cool. Yes, that's uh, the former head coach at Washington, Ken Knutson, and you heard from Chris Magruder just a moment ago. But, uh, yeah, we we had a chance to talk to Eric DeBose about pitching to to Chris Magruder and that 1997 regional that was so special that State won on Memorial Day, went to the College World Series in 1997. Of course, that broke a seven-year drought of going to the College World Series. We went in 1990. Boy, DeBose was so good that weekend, wasn't he? Oh, my goodness. And it was so hot on that Monday. And, I mean, he pitched twice. He pitched on Thursday, and then he came back and pitched a complete game on Monday. And it was almost like Herculean effort all the way around from so many different guys that weekend. And one of the things I remember that DeBose told us, too, was, you know, so in that ninth inning, we're up 4-2. Magruder leads off with a home run. Thankfully, he leads off the inning instead of batting second. And then, you know, you get down, you got two outs. DeBose isn't coming out of the game. He isn't coming out, but he's like, I got enough for one more. Not one more batter. I got one more pitch. I got one more pitch. Yep. So it was 4-2, and then Magruder comes up to lead off that ninth, makes it 4-3, to and DeBose never had to come out of the windup. So I think that was so big in that ninth inning. Oh, that was huge. So that one will be fun. We'll go back. We'll talk about Notre Dame. But I want to track down some of these guys. Some of them will be harder to get than others. But I was trying to think of people who, you know, you remember coming through. You know, a lot of them went on to have great major league careers, but there's some guys too who just ended up being like really good college players. Yeah, you know, one of those was is Ben McDonald. I mean, we talked to Ben. We you see Ben a lot now, so you know he, he's not a guy that you haven't heard from in a long time. We talked to Ben last year, who of course does a lot of the SEC Network stuff and works with ESPN. Love to get him back this year. Yeah, I think we will. Ben's so good. He he tweets us back and forth and texts us back and forth. Ben's a good dude. He does a lot of hunting in South Mississippi. But One you know, of the most positive voices for college baseball that's out there. No doubt. We had him. We had Kyle Peterson. Kyle Peterson on. Hey, here's one of the things that I enjoyed. We talked to Hardy last year, Michael Hardy from Philadelphia. Um, I think Michael Hardy has had, has written the most number ones maybe this this past year. It's it's crazy about what he's doing in Nashville right now. Uh, Hardy, you know, Pat McMahon came back. You know, Jeffrey Ray, we talked to him. We talked to Butch and Lane. We talked about that interview a lot. Janet Marie Smith with the Dodgers. Of course, she built Camden Yards. She was the lead architect in Camden Yards. That was a real interesting interview there. About It wasn't really about baseball. It was more about urban development. That was a cool interview. Yeah, it kind of surprised me because when I think about building a baseball stadium, I think about building a baseball stadium. She thinks about designing a city with that just being yeah. an aspect of it. You know, look, we had a chance to talk to a number of guys in the major leagues right now. And it's going to be interesting to catch up with some of those guys. The last guy I think we talked to was Hunter Renfro. And at the time, he was playing in the World Series. Now he's being shipped to Boston. I mean, we've got some guys on the move. Jonathan Holder, not with the Yankees anymore. He's headed to Chicago with the Cubs. Chris Young, I mean, his bullpen coach with the Cubs is a Mississippi State guy. And you know what? Chris Young. He was good last year. He was great. We had him on the show. 
had Chris Young on the show. You know, it was good to talk to to Dale Unser, you know, a guy from the 60s who had some big hits, had a huge hit in the World Series in 1980. You know, the coolest thing about to me about talking to Dale Unser was this is a guy sitting there talking about sitting in the dugout next to Ted Williams and Ted Williams telling him, all right, look, what, look what he's doing here. Look what he's doing. Talking about picking up pitchers and looking at their tips and seeing what they're doing. That was – there aren't many guys that we talk to, you know, have stories about playing for Ted Williams. And that was one of the first times – I've been around this game my entire life. That was one of the first times I've ever heard a guy talking about tipping pitchers, about looking at the feet of a guy that wind up. The depth of the left foot will tell you all you need to know about what pitch is being thrown. And that was back in the you know, that was back in the seventies and eighties when guys were doing that. That was before video when you can kind of straighten those things out. But he was like, I knew what was coming every pitch just based upon if a guy's in the windup, the depth of, he, of him starting his windup. That was crazy, man. Yeah, some awesome stuff. So, anyway, we're going to have a lot of that for you. We, we've talked to a lot of guys who want to be on the show who were kind of mad that we didn't ask them last year, Kendall Graveman. <laughs> and so, we uh, we're, we're get, we got a lot of interviews. We're going to try to do an interview each week on our Heartland Catfish. You know, one little note about Kendall, and this is one of the things about pitchers, too. We, we get so guilty of looking at guys – and wanting these guys to be finished products early in their career based on where they're projected to be. We talked about that gap a little bit earlier. Like Kendall Graveman throws so much harder now than he ever did when he was here. And that's the thing, man. These guys can change so much from year one to year two, year three, year four. Or if you're Carlisle Kessler, you're 28. <laughs> hey, here's, there's a guy. I mean, how have we overlooked him in talking about this? Because, all right. You made a really good point. We were talking the other day and just kind of talking about this schedule, and I thought you made a great point of the importance of midweek games this year. We we so often tend to think about the SEC and where our standings are, but look, you can have a really good team. You can have an outstanding team and go 15 and 15, 16 and 14 in the league this year. True or false? Very true. And so if you accept that as true, and all of a sudden you're wanting to host a regional, boy, you better make your hay in the midweek. I think that's one of the reasons we were a national seed a couple of years ago is you only lose one non-conference game. That was that Southern Miss game on Friday. But you go through unscathed the rest of the year in non-conference play. And it goes back a lot, I think, to what Scott Fox all did early in the season. How do you lose non-conference games early? You walk a lot of guys. You give them free bases. We didn't walk many guys at all. We just threw strikes. But then as the season went on, we won those midweek games, and then it gets you in a position where you don't have many losses. It's not about the wins. It's more about having the lack of losses against a, a team that's over 200 in the RPI. And so you have a chance to be a national seed if you can take advantage of what's given to you in the non-conference. And this, this is a year in non-conference play. I mean, we're not going to lose just one game in non-conference play, but you have to limit it. You have to limit in a Carlisle Kessler, you know. A, and I'm a, not relegating Carlisle Kessler, by the way, to being a midweek pitcher. No, Brandon you know, he Smith. Could be your I mean, long guy during the week. But here's the bottom line: if you don't use them on a weekend, first of all, you got to love having a Brandon Smith coming back. You've got to love having a Carlisle Kessler because if one of the three guys that we're so high on stumbles, it's not like you've got nothing to do for the rest of the game you got some guys who can go long on you if you need to but the other thing is if you don't go long 
Well, you can get those guys some innings on a Tuesday. Yeah, that too. And you can use Kessler as a guy out of the bullpen maybe on a Saturday then bring him back to start on Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing about some of those guys. Kessler's going to be kind of like Phil Necro. He's going to be throwing knuckleballs <laughs> up there before the season's over with his arm. Gonna I be- love watching him <laughs> pitch because in a, in a day where so many young players are being programmed to look a certain way, I get so tired, by the way, of getting on Twitter and watching guys hit soft toss all with the exact same swing and working on launch angle and all this stuff. I like a guy who is himself. Yeah, you know, that was the thing about Butch Thompson. You know, going back to the way back, you know, Butch Thompson was a big guy on this kid's been throwing his whole life. We're not going to bring him here as a freshman and rebuild his delivery, rebuild his windup, turn him into a robot. If he wants to throw it from that arm slot, you know what's going to happen? He's going to throw it from that arm slot. We're all we're, we'll tweak him, but we're not going to rebuild him. I love that Carlisle Kessler has come up, and he's a guy who can go from the old-fashioned, you know, Tom Seaver kind of wind-up. He, he changes up his delivery. He'll quick pitch you. I enjoy watching him play. Yeah, that's the thing. The quick pitch is what will get you. You can kind of get lulled to sleep in those first two, and he goes back behind his head with his arms, and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, there it is. <laughs> I just love watching that. Well, so baseball season is, is right around the corner. Man, I'm looking forward to it. We're going to be on with you for 20 straight weeks. We've got uh, the week show of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau with Country Pleasing Sausage and Heartland Catfish. And then we've got our Sunday coffee we're going to do each and every week throughout the season. We'll be your Sunday newspaper is what we will be. We'll be positive coverage. Are we going to be positive coverage? Can you be positive on Sunday mornings? At least as compared to the Sunday paper of old. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Okay, guys, hey, appreciate you hanging out with us. I'd like one request, Bart. What's that? You know, we talked a little bit ago about these old guys that came through here that we're going to track down. If if somebody's wondering what happened to one of those guys, an opponent who came through here, shoot us a message. Who was your favorite opponent that came through? What was your favorite series? I'd like to find Dave Magadan. I remember that guy here in 1983. You know, it goes two for four and his batting average drops. Yeah, like you know. 580 that year. <laughs> I, I think, to me, I, I would love to track down. I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, the Magruder interviews, some of the clips that you played. I would be really interested this year to keep you on the hunt, chasing some of those guys down. You give me a name and I'll find them. I'm like, I'm like Dog the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, if somebody's got some of those, tweet those to us. Yep, at, uh, at Mark Gregory, at Charlie Winfield. At Bart and Charlie, whatever you want to send it to, yeah, tweet us who you want to hear from, and we'll uh, we'll put the dogs on them and try to find them. We'll try to talk to them a little bit. I'm not calling Albert Bell, Joey Bell. Yeah, it was time. Joey. I'm not calling Joey Bell. Anyway, appreciate you guys listening uh, this week. We got to figure out who we want to talk to, and it looks like this week we're going to be on Wednesday night with women's basketball on Thursday on uh, WFCA here in the French camp. Well, they're going to carry us again this year. And so the women's basketball game on Thursday night, that means we'll probably be on Wednesday night here on out of left field in uh, East central Mississippi on WFCA 107.9. So appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on this Sunday morning. Hey, looking forward to talking with you guys, bannering back and forth. Make sure you tweet us, stay engaged. We love engagement. And uh, you guys have certainly been engaged with us over the last few weeks. So appreciate you hanging out with us. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Sunday Coffee.